Hello, and welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber, and I am here with Amanda and author Don L. Watkins. Welcome, Don. Thank you. Today, we will be discussing Don's Medallion Trilogy and watching Amber try not to fangirl all over the place. So best of luck <laughs> to us all with that. <laughs> But in all seriousness, for the majority of you, the Medallion Trilogy is the best series that you have not read yet. So we are glad that you are here. Before we jump in to talking about the books, Don, would you like to give us some of your career highlights? How long you've been writing for? How many books you've published? Maybe share a few of your favorite books or authors from when you were a kid. That's one of my favorite ways to get to know someone fast, is to know what they've read. Well, as a child, fairy tales were my absolute favorite thing to be read to. Uh, fables, Aesop's Fables. Uh, later, Little House on the Prairie books, Little House books, of course. Mm -hmm. Anything westward movement, I was all into the pioneer thing. But fairy tales, first and foremost, even still. <laughs> yeah. Those are beautiful. So you've you've written a lot of books. I know that you have written curriculum, but mm -hmm. also a lot of fiction, um, picture books, and yes, chapter books. Do you do you know off the top of your head how many books you've published? You know, the, this morning I thought you might ask me that. I should look <laughs> that up, and I don't really know. I know inside the cover of Arrow there's a list of okay. ones that have my Donna Watkins pen name on there. I have some that have a different pen name that do not appear there. So I, I don't know, 14 maybe? What's your other pen name or is it a secret? Oh, it's not a secret. It, it's uh, Morgan Reed Person, which are family names all bunched together. I wrote a book called um, No Pets Allowed. And oh, okay. The people that were publishing at that time said, oh, you should use a different pen name on that one. And so I gave them a different pen name. And that appears <laughs> on funny. some short stories and things too, so. Very cool. Whatever. I own that book. I did not realize it was yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. When I was a kid, my parents would um, always give us books at Christmas. And so when we were younger, I remember getting a King for Brass Cobwebs and Very Like a Star. And then as I got older, I got Jenny Wren and then Medallion when I was 10. And I was talking to my mom and sisters earlier this week about how I was going to talk to you and try not to fangirl. And my younger sisters who are six, seven, and seven years younger than me, they were like, oh my goodness, we loved those books. And my mom was like, I cried every time I read Jenny Wren. That was such a great book. And <laughs> so they, they definitely had a, a lasting effect in, in our family. So yeah, I was- Authors are kind of ghoulish because it makes us happy when you cry. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was racking my brain trying to figure out how I could possibly share an overview of the series without completely giving it away and doing it justice. But luckily, I don't have that burden anymore because I outsourced it. So we host a, a reading challenge every year through Reshelving Alexandria, our Facebook community, and we do adult challenges and kid challenges. So last year, 
we had a whole bunch of kids finish their reading challenge and we did a drawing for some prizes and two boys who were 10 um, won the drawing and they happened to be best friends. So I thought how fun would it be to send them medallions so that they both have the same story and they can incorporate it into their play and have someone to talk to about it because I always like was bummed as a kid when I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And I see that with my oldest daughter when I haven't read a book that she's read. She's like, just read it already because I need to talk to you. So I sent them both the book, just medallion. And then their poor mothers were on the hook for getting the rest of the series because they wanted them. And so I reached out to one of the moms and asked if her son would have any questions for you or if he would be interested in doing our mailbag. So we do a kid's mailbag on the show where they get to write in and just hype a book that they really liked and share share it with people. So I thought if he wanted to do medallion, he could. And she said he hated writing and she wasn't sure if he'd be willing to do it. And then 30 minutes later, she wrote back and she's like, he's in. He is so excited to be able to <laughs> share about this book. And so here is the review submitted by Owen, age 10. And he says, Medallion is one of the best books I've ever read. At the beginning, Trave, a boy who should be the king of Gadala, is kind of foolish and doesn't think before he acts. But then he meets Gris, the king of Kapnos, who tells him about a medallion that gives the owner the right to the throne of Gadala. Once he learns about the medallion, Trave is determined to find it. And the book is about what happens on his journey. I love how throughout the book, Gris teaches Trave how to be a good king. I like how Trave learns from his mistakes and makes good choices after he's acted foolishly. He reminded me a little bit of Edmund from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I also love the extra things like the map that the author put in the front of the book to help picture the different kingdoms and see where things are located. I think the kids who like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Wingfeather Saga would also like this book. After I read it, I couldn't wait to read the next one. I hope you enjoy it. So that is That's very reading. well written. It is. <laughs> I was like, this is perfect. So that that's Medallion. And I read Medallion when I was 10. And I read it and read it and read it and read it into tatters. And um, it was incredibly influential in my life, Dawn. I was personally challenged by the themes of honor, dignity, trust, respect, and integrity. And then in 2008, after I was an adult, you wrote the sequel or the prequel. Prequel. Prequel, Shield. And I missed it because I was an adult and it had been so long. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to be writing because we were looking on Library of Congress. You wrote Medallion in 1985. Yes. Is that, that correct? Yeah. So I, I found it when it had already been out for a while. But then in Reshelving Alexandria, I met your stepdaughter and she saw me recommending medallion to people and she was like I don't know if you know but like she wrote a book that came before it and she's in the middle of writing one that came after and I was like hold the presses like where has this been so <laughs> so I grabbed shield and then in 2021 last year is when the sequel arrow was written if I have that that timeline correct and um, those are some huge jumps for world building. So I have to know in the beginning when you wrote Medallion, did you know the whole story arc and just like George Lucas decided to just drop us in the middle of it and be like, fend for yourselves, everyone. <laughs> I'll come back later. <laughs> or, or did you write Medallion, which wraps up nicely at the end and could just be a standalone if it needed to be, but then decided to 
write more as more came to you? What was what was your process in building that world? Each of the books stand alone. Yes. So you could read one and not either of the others. Right. And you'd have a whole story. I agree. But in the beginning, I did have a trilogy in mind, emphasizing the three Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And each of the books has all those elements, mm-hmm. but pushes one more forward than the others. So I did have that in mind. I don't uh, have a like an outline or a, I have big ideas that I, I want to get to. And whatever happens, happens. Sometimes I don't even know what's going to happen. I remember one time in the, and I used to tell people this, and then some thought that I was a little crazy, so I stopped telling it. But uh, in the middle of the scene in Medallion where Gris takes Trave to Enna, mm-hmm. and she has uh that bottle she's going to give him. I honestly didn't know what she was going to say. So as truly as I can express this, I stood with Trave and waited to hear what she would say. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. said something and I thought, oh, I should write that down. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'll write that down. So things happen in the story and I'm willing to go with it. So, but I'm also in control of it. It's not willy nilly. It's not free writing. But I, I also like the characters to inform me of things. I wrote a book called um, Zoli's Legacy. And I put a character in there just for a specific reason. And he just refused to leave. So I had to, I had to, he stayed till the end. I he wouldn't go. <laughs> That's awesome. And so that, the Zoli's Legacy, it's a two book. Is that a series or is it just a it was It was in two parts. Story? Now it's in one volume. Okay. I have the, I have the two parts. So. Same thing. So, so yeah. do you find yourself putting yourself in all of the characters' positions or do you more relate to one as you're writing the story? Oh, that's a very good question. I tend to stay more with one, but I enter into others in order to have them speak authentically. Okay. I don't want them all speaking the same. So, uh, for instance, Rinson speaks differently from Enna, yeah. but I'm in their heads when they're speaking. Okay. Right. So you said that each book more pushes forward one theme than the other. Which books yes. do you associate which, with which theme? Okay. S.H.I.E.L.D. is faith. Mm-hmm. Sort of told in the title there. <laughs> uh, Medallion is love. And uh, Arrow is hope. For example, in S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, many of the characters have to just do what they know to be right without any net. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's kind of the, the, the point of that book. Uh, okay. Sorry, you, I cut you off. 
Oh, no, that's fine. I was wondering if, um, so since, since they're all standalone, is there a order that you recommend putting, reading them in? Is there, you know, with Narnia, you always go through the. Okay. Another another good question. In the beginning, back in the eighties, you know, long time ago, medallion was uh what do you call it a command book or whatever i was told write a book that goes with the reading program for fourth grade oh interesting so i did i well actually i wrote jenny wren and then they said well could you change the main character to a boy and put the setting in california and i said no Can't do that. Write a whole new book. Why don't yeah, you? because they decided that boys will read about boys and girls will read about boys, but boys don't want to read about girls. That was the, the thinking. So I said, no, I'll just write a whole new book. Just forget it. I'll just write a new book. So I wrote Medallion. And uh, so that was a fourth grade. So they didn't ask me for the next grade or the next, but I wanted my my trilogy to be complete. So I decided the next one, which happened to be S.H.I.E.L.D., would be on the fifth grade level. And this last one would be on the sixth grade level. So if you want to read them in order of complexity, that would be the way. If you want to read them chronologically, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. If you want to read them all out of order, that's fine. Yeah. I was just telling Amber I liked that they they increased in complexity and reading ability because I thought that would be a great way if you had a reluctant reader and you wanted to help them get into the next reading level. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great way yes. to start on with medallion. If you have a reluctant reader or a reader with problems, maybe even a you know, fifth grader who you could start them with medallion. Yeah. And then move on. So Amanda and I had a ton of conversations about Gris, and I know I know she wanted to ask you some questions about him. I okay. did want to ask you about what your inspiration was for him, because he seems, he doesn't seem like a character that you just come up with. He seems like that maybe he's he seems real. something. He seems real. Yeah. And he's really admirable and... I don't know. I would like to know that person for real, <laughs> like in real life. Well, I drew a lot on my grandfather. In fact, uh, when Medallion first came out, a relative of mine read it, was reading it and said to me, is this King anybody we know? <laughs> did you know? Okay. Did they know who Maybe. it was? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so very much of his humanity is my grandfather. Other literary elements played in there, you know, um, Mm -hmm. Red Cross Knight and different admirable uh, characters. But I think what you're sensing there is actually my grandfather. He's also uh, the basis of Mr. Logan and Jenny Wren. Yeah, I just loved his character. I loved him. I loved him as a kid. Like, I wanted to be him. I wanted to know him. I definitely wanted to marry someone like him. (laughs) 
<laughs> he, was, he was just like, he just seemed like such a person you could trust, like so trustworthy and someone that you could put your faith in and know that they were going to do right by you and make, make the wisest decisions that they could and that they had the experience necessary to know what would be the wisest decision in any given situation. So I, I really loved him. He reminds so, me a little of Mr. Knightley. Yeah. Emma, because he's, yeah. you know, the steady, strong character, yes. full of integrity, not going to like sugarcoat everything for you and not going to pull Definitely back. willing to call you out on your shortcomings when necessary. But, yes. <laughs> yeah. Can we, re- can reprove you in love, you know, like that just, yes. that was his character. Yeah, I did I uh, marry a man very like, and so in the arrow, uh, he played he played a part in that. And in fact, the artist I think used him as a model for the pictures. Oh, that's cool! Oh, I love that. That's very neat. So that's that's the the men that we we loved from the books. But I also love the wise women like Kala and Miris, and they just they remind me of just. I just loved books like that when I was a kid. Like I wanted to be those wise women who didn't just treat the body, but treated the soul. And, but they had the wisdom to treat the body because they, you know, had educated themselves and were in tune with nature. So we have like those wise women in this story. And I loved how Kala knew all about the herbs and had studied under people who knew that. And then Enna studies under Kala. And so she's able to take care of the people that need her and that she loves. And then you have Miris, who is very in line with our whole reshelving Alexandria mission of building home libraries and preserving culture. And she has all the hidden books, right, of the, from the university that they hid before the calling of the books. And so she's doing cultural preservation as a way that she is showing love to the people who matter most to her at large. And so I, I really respect that about her. And so I, I always am trying to collect stories like this. So there's the wise woman and the wise woman in these books, there's the, the wise woman, grandma in the Bracken trilogy. There's the grandmother in the princess and the goblin. Did you have other characters who had influenced your wise woman, wise women in your books, or were those just women you knew? Those were women I knew. I I had a very wonderful collection of people around me when I was young. My grandfather's cousin, his age, taught all the girls in our community how to sew and cook. But we went there and we learned those things. But what we actually learned from her was an extraordinary contentment and calmness. Mm. She had an an easy life. She lost two grown sons in lumbering accidents. Her one son, other son, nearly died when he was young from diphtheria. I mean, she didn't have an easy life. But I never heard one word of complaint from her about anything. And she was always willing to listen but she didn't pull any punches either. If she, if you needed to know a thing about yourself, she would tell you. Uh, my grandmother, 
very wise on how to get along with strong men. You know, my grandfather was a great man, but he didn't have his ways and she just <laughs> knew how to deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, so it was all the women around me more than I can say any one literary character. Sorry. No, that's, that's fine. Our, our influences come from many places. I, uh, I did draw on, did draw on um, Proverbs 31 mm -hmm. and on the prophetess Deborah for Kala. Uh, that yeah, reminds I'm me sure. of Joe's boys. We're reading uh, about Meg and Joe's boys and she teaches a lot of the community women to sew and cook and like household skills not just as a way of teaching them household skills, but teaching them character building skills yes. too. That's really beautiful. I love that. So would you say that those were the the large influences of honor in your life? Because I just feel like honor is such a strong theme in these books. So was it just yes. those relationships? Well, every adult I knew emphasized that if you made a promise, you keep the promise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you would uh, not do anything to to dishonor the people. Like if I did something dishonorable, that would dishonor my grandmother or my grandfather. Right. I couldn't have that, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did, but <laughs> I, felt, I felt really bad about it. <laughs> Try to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So um, between the book Shield and then into Arrow, and I guess also including Medallion a little bit, but mostly from Shield to Arrow, my daughter saw some changes in the pronunciation guides. That goes back to that curriculum novel thing because mm -hmm. they were teaching reading and phonics and whatnot. They wanted it, the names to follow the rules of pronunciation that they were teaching. It wasn't always the way I heard those words in my head. Yeah. When I was a child, I had no say. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. But those, the book has now been um, disconnected really from the reading program. So mm -hmm. now I'm free to say, this is how it's said in Capros. Right. And this is how it's said in Godala. And let's get this fixed. So yeah. The way they are presented in uh, in uh, Arrow, that that's the way I hear them in my head. So Inara is yes, Inara. It's how you, okay. So Inara is my eldest daughter, and her name is her name is spelled I N A R A. And for those listening, yes, she is named after the Inara that you're thinking of. But she, <laughs> it's an Arabic name, and it means ray of light, heaven sent. And naming is incredibly important in our family. And so she, you know, she did not have any expectation of ever finding herself in literature. And so she was beyond thrilled. Like when we read, we read Shield first and she was like, oh, it's so close. And so like we were reading it based on that pronunciation guide, which I think was Inara. And, um, and then when we got Arrow and she like flipped to the back, she's like, she changed it. It's my name. It's my name now. <laughs> It's that always been that so way. Exciting. It's just yes. not been recorded appropriately. I will let her know that. That is <laughs> going to be so exciting to her. Um, so, so you were talking about 
the different languages and how they're pronounced in different languages. So Owen's best friend, Sam, who also got your book, Sam's question was that Trave says that umbo means shield handle, but he wants to know in which language from which country does it mean that? In Gadala. In Gadala. All right. We will let Sam know that. And then back to the naming. So my question is at the end of shield, when Inara is told that now in Capno, she will be known as Lady Enna. What does Enna mean? Like, what is the the story behind him picking okay. that name for her? Okay. She is, as a Dieterin, she is in on Kala's secrets. You know, she knows. Mm-hmm. So she's in, innermost. And, and then because she goes into the towers, she's allowed into the tower. She's allowed into the presence of the prince who is becoming king right in front of her face. You know, right. she's in. Okay. So mm-hmm. in Capnosian, the word is Enna. And in the, in Dieter, it's Inara. Inara. Okay. Very cool. I will. Pass that on. She'll be very okay. excited to hear all about it. <laughs> so one of um, one of Sam's other questions was just the the world building in general of the different countries and how you picked them and how many there were. And he didn't have a specific question. He just really wanted to hear you talk more about the lands and countries. All right. In the beginning, Capnos <laughs> uh, and its capital sort of represent the ideal country. These people have discipline and honor and generosity, camaraderie. They look out for each other. They are very full of individuals. I mean, they're not all the same kind of person, but they have a culture that's a little more advanced than the other countries. Gadala mm-hmm. was well on its way until Panay took over. Lazy Panay. Yes. <laughs> um, and part of Gris's whole mindset is not just to have Kapnos be a good country, but all the Alliance countries to be good countries and yet themselves and uh Dieter I like Dieter if you asked me who which country I would live in that would be the one yeah because well it's less populated it has Taruta (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know it just suits me I like I like Dieter Uh, but anyway and then Trave you know takes on the restoration of his country and the restoration of Sarda, because lo and behold, he has Sardan blood. I don't know if you noticed, but there's not a lot of um, pedigree, shall we say? Uh, yeah. That people like Bachmal married Chris's first cousin. Right. And um, because, you know, he. He want, remember when he's running around and he's 
thinking about he's a kid and he's looking looking for her, but he, he says he rolls it around his mouth, Lord Balkmal, and he thinks he likes the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, then he, he becomes one because he marries into the royal family of Capno. So what did you ask me? I'm totally off the track. <laughs> We're well, talking country, about countries, different kinds in general. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I wanted them to be representative of uh, stages of mm -hmm. good culture. Okay. So some are not at all. They're, you know, Latoris is, you know, Sarda, Phil. So it, it's, it's kind of a parallel with the characters making progress mm -hmm. toward a noble life. I feel like yeah. in the differences of the countries, you can really see how a leader can make a huge difference in the culture mm -hmm. and can yes. set it on a path yeah. that extends for years and years and years. Yes. Or and see that. And see that's why in Shield Leorian keeps trying to salvage his country. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when he yeah. realizes that he can't. Then it becomes, I'm, I must salvage myself. I must do what I need to do to maintain my integrity, my nobility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's another that. really honorable character mm -hmm. with a lot of wisdom. Yeah. I did have a question about Trave because I was very confused when I was reading Medallion about how old he was. At the beginning of the book, I'm thinking he's like, nine, 10. At the end of the book, I'm thinking, you know, he must be older. He has to be like 15, 16. He is 10 going on 11 okay. throughout, but it's his um, mental maturity that you're sensing. That changes. He has left yeah. his boyhood right when, when um, Gris gives him the medallion and says, you have to go back mm -hmm. on your own. That's a point at which he stops being this self-centered child and begins his journey to become fully king. Mm -hmm. Now he is king in name, but he is not totally king until uh, something happens <laughs> in Arrow. <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. No spoiler alert. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I really liked watching watching him mature because Amanda and I were having this conversation the other night about how old he was, and I thought he was younger, like more in the the ten eleven range. And I was like, I think that he just he's growing up, and you know, some kids are able to take those outside voices, take those experiences and hardships, and mature from them. And I really felt that. Um, I, we used to have a pastor who would always say that men needed to mature at the rate of need, not at the rate of convenience. And I really felt that with Trave that like he steps up when, when it's needed, like he's able to mature at that rate. And yes. so, yeah, that, that makes sense for him. Mm -hmm. Also um, the character Nog makes progress as well. Mm -hmm. He's, in shield a young man like gris mm -hmm. and he's a capable poet as he has a song that 
is quite popular among many cultures throughout the ages there. But he's a poet. He's very sensitive and very introverted, and he doesn't do well with war and losing friends and, you know, uh, Trade's mother. He, he, he just doesn't deal well. So he thinks retreating and hiding will spare him the pains of life. Uh, but it doesn't work. We know that. <laughs> and so when he re emerges and comes a, uh, above the uh, ground again, his poetry increases in texture and value. So that in isolation, it degrades into almost doggerel. But when he is among others and required to share his gift, it improves. Amber and I were just debating about that too the other night. How does Nog go from being a court poet to living underground? How There seems like there should be more story there. Is there another? Oh, there's more story there. There's just not room in the book for... Uh, <laughs> Well, All Amber, the elaboration. Are, are you familiar with S.D. Smith's The Green Ember series? Yes. So it has the four books and then it has like the little books that go in between. And I was telling Amanda, I was like, I really need Don to write some little books that go in between for me that, <laughs> that fill in those gaps. Well, actually, um, I'm mulling over uh, writing the book of Muris. You know, that white book? That Please needs to, do. the pages, <laughs> we need to know what those pages say because it yeah. contain it contains their mythology, yeah. their, their fairy tales, uh -huh. their history from her perspective, of course, and some pictures. I have, I have goosebumps right now. Like, you really need to write this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I've just thrown my hat over the fence. I said I was modeling it. Expectations. <laughs> I was modeling it. <laughs> Well, I'm studying Hans Christian Andersen's stories right now, trying to really understand what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale mm -hmm. and what makes it a good fairy tale. And uh, I don't know if you know uh, Vegan Gorian, uh, he wrote um, Tending the Heart of Virtue. It's a book mm -hmm. on the moral imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, he told me that magic in stories in fairy tales, in fairy tales, is an analog for grace. Huh. And that really set me to thinking. And then you asked me about mystery and magic. Yeah, yeah, because there's like little elements that could be considered magical somewhat in the book. And then okay. you refer to them at one point as mystery, like somebody asks a point blank question about it. And the response, I, I have it right here that Trave says, I don't know that is a mystery and I was just like oh that's so good because Inara and I are finishing Enchantress from the Stars and if you haven't read it you would probably really enjoy it it's a science fiction book but it doesn't really feel like it so it's a culture from the future or not from the future it's a culture that has progressed more than uh -huh. a culture now would and then there's a culture that has just started exploring other planets and then there's a culture where you basically feel like you're still in the middle ages they're talking like the Middle Ages. That's their understanding. And so they view her with her advanced science understanding and advanced mental and physical understandings as an enchantress. And so she's talking in this letter that she's writing back to her cousin about the mission, about 
you know, is it really magic or is it science? Like, does it matter? And is it, is it the same thing? Are they right in their thinking? Are we wrong in our thinking? And so I just, I felt that in this, in this portion when, when Trey just says it's a mystery. And I told Amanda, I was like, you know, yeah, like there's a river that runs one direction for part of the day and another direction for another part of the day. And she's like, absolutely explainable. (laughs) Okay. I just, well, I didn't know it was explainable, but I could totally see that being explainable and not being magic. Just, we don't Um, understand it yet. Magic gets tarnished by misuse Mm -hmm. of it. I look at mystery and magic that occurs from outside to be kind of on par Mm -hmm. as analogs for grace, as Vegan says, or in my mind, for those things that cannot be explained, but are for your good. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to explain it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to understand. I always tell people it's an advantage to me that I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box (laughs) because I am not so bothered as some more intellectual people by having to have everything explained in concrete terms, or at least be able to be comprehended in order to be absorbed and accepted. I'm perfectly happy, even happier, (laughs) to accept some things that can't be explained, but from which I draw good, to be be there. They're just there. So this thing that that Trave encounters, I don't say explicitly that it did happen. Mm -hmm. I say it might have happened and for him it did happen and it was transformational for him it's very important for him and things happen in your normal life that are very transformational which may seem to you magical but to someone Mm -hmm. in a different perspective could be like oh i understand how that happened Mm -hmm. doesn't matter it's the point the point is that you got out of that what you needed Speaking of Miris's book, like one of the things that I loved was watching characters age and still be completely vital to the story. And I feel that so often kids are reading books that are focused on like just their age group, or maybe the parents happen to have not been killed off before the story started, you know, but like they don't really have these good, strong mentors, or maybe they have one. But I feel like these are, these are like family group stories and everybody not everybody's still alive but like older generations are still alive and present and active and their wisdom is sought out and they are treated with dignity and respect and I do make um, a point of that in in that Tanarad goes to his father mm-hmm. and says I need wisdom right I need help and yeah other people approach the older people for help um, and I don't know if you're going to ask this, but I want to get it in. <laughs> Please do. Uh, women approach men for help. Mm-hmm. See, Anna did what she could right. in that circumstance of captivity. I'm mm-hmm. not ruining anything if I say that. Right? No, you're fine. She did what she could, which yeah. is good. She's a strong woman. She's smart. You know? But she knows she can't deal with what mm-hmm. is going on. She needs right. help. So she repairs to Nog and he has to respond because he is um, 
honor bound. She has appealed to him. She's a woman. She's appealed to him. He has to go. He hasn't yeah. any choice. You know, that's right. how it works. So yeah. I like that. Yeah. I have no problem with that. And I wanted to show how uh, femininity needn't be distorted in order to be strong. Yes. Femininity has its strengths. Masculinity has its strengths. They work very nicely together. They really um, do. I was because I was you see, well, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say when when Gris takes Trave to Anna, like they're seeking her help because they need it. Yes. And so I, I see it going both ways all the time. Like people, everyone has their different strengths and no one is ashamed to approach someone else based on age or gender or rank mm -hmm. even. Right. And and Anna you know, helps that boy, she doesn't need to, most people wouldn't, but she has that strength of integrity. She knows that she knows what can be done and she knows she should tell him. She does. Yeah. Yeah. And the effect that has, but that's, see, that's a feminine tactic, if you want to call it that, right. to bring somebody toward the light. And Gris has a different approach. But still, mm -hmm. they work. They worked in tandem to work yeah. on that boy. So, throughout the yeah. books, there's a lot of people helping when they they might in our modern culture they might not have like you you go fend for yourself. And there's a lot of just helping each other for the sake of helping each other, strangers. Because it is the thing to do. Yeah, it is yes. the, right the right thing, thing to do. Yeah, and I love how. Um, we get to meet some people who have unintentionally helped people in Medallion, and then we get to see them intentionally helping people in Arrow, and just know that 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 is their their true heart, and that is who who they are, and they they responded to the appreciation that they received from the last person, and are continuing to live their lives with that strength and dignity and honor in order to to appreciate it i'm trying not to spoil anything right now but, <laughs> but i just really appreciated that and i will say that that exchange ended with me thinking we need another little book at the end of this book so that she can slide in when those two people meet up together again <laughs> uh, when, when trave meets uh Cass. Cass, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Miris <laughs> won't know about that. Miris is gone. I know. So. I, that's why we need another one. We need <sighs> another book. Amber will keep you writing forever. <laughs> <laughs> she would never get enough books. So. It's true. It's true. Yes, that was wonderful. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover that we haven't covered? Well... Even though the books stand alone and each have their cardinal capital virtue, uh, Christian virtue, there are other virtues that intertwine among the books mm -hmm. because not only are the characters on a journey, I'm hoping the reader is on a journey and is collecting up a desire, if not an intention yeah. to live wisely and mm -hmm perhaps also some patterns by which to do so. If you can think, well, what would happen? What would Gris say should happen here? Or how, how would Miris respond to that? You know, 
because she has courage. Mira's has courage. Yeah, absolutely. But she's a yeah. different kind of courage from Kala. Right. But they still are both very much influenced influencers on mm-hmm. those who come behind them. Well, I will say that if that was your goal in writing these books, you succeeded in my life because I definitely have thought of Gris often over the years. And as, as Amanda said, he is similar to a Mr. Knightley and that's mm-hmm. who I married. I married my Mr. Knightley and King Gris. And so I just, <laughs> I, I look forward to continuing to watch my husband age and be able to even, you know, offer wisdom down to further generations like like Gris did but I really appreciate the modeling that was in those books and just watching watching Trave be humbled I feel saved me from needing to be humbled in some of those same areas myself like I didn't have to go through the hard work of it because I was able to say oh yeah that's what that looks like and that does not seem pleasant so maybe we (laughs) skip that step and just go straight to realizing we are not everything so um but yeah so i Uh, i really am grateful let me mention this too um the children in arrow have their things they need to learn as well kalti is a little vain Mm -hmm. (laughs) preoccupied with appearance (laughs) at first and um bruce is very into his position and he has things to learn yet, even at the end of the book, but at least we know that he will. Is that another book you'll be writing yes. about him? <laughs> Three is such a nice number. <laughs> Seven is even better. <laughs> um, with Bruce in the first chapter of that book, I read it and I, I chuckled to myself and my daughter was sitting there having already read it. She's like, what are you laughing about? And I was like, well, I'm just thinking that Bruce is an apple that did not fall far from the tree. <laughs> she's like, yes, that's yes, very true. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, one more was- thing I appreciated. I'm almost done with shield and I have noticed in that book, there's some, not a lot of details about the marriages, but there's some beautiful marriages represented. Mm-hmm. You get see little snapshots of that. And I really appreciate that too for a children's book that that's in there. There's Thank some you. modeling there too, especially when they're not ready for a romance, but you need to see those good things. Right. I didn't anyway. you know, this isn't an appropriate age for talking about romance, but I did need to show that, you know, Trave saw this girl later and was like, oh, she grew up. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to know my my favorite moment in any of all three books is when Gris says to Enna, oh, there you are. After Mm -hmm. all that had gone on and she turns around because she knows it's his step and she turns and, and he goes, well. There you are. <laughs> and I will say there's a lot about Gris and Enna's relationship that requires a book in between Medallion and Arrow. <laughs> I'm going to let you know something. Uh, I asked my editor to sit in with me today. She's in the room with me because I've never done one of these before. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I just needed her to be there. So she's heard yeah. you say this. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Yay. so that might be some, uh, another voice 
passing. Yes. But yeah, we can do another book. <laughs> you write it. I will market it. We will get it out there. Okay. <laughs> You're very kind. And I'm glad Gris was there for you when you were a kid. Yeah. I think my grandfather would be astonished to know how many children he has helped. Yeah, yeah. that's a quite a legacy. It is. Yeah. That comes with honor, right? When you live an honorable life, this is what Proverbs says will be the result of it. And you know, I did I did pick that up even as a child because I saw some of my grandfather's friends whose lives were not as honorable and what happened to their families. And that stuck with me. I mean, I saw that. I made a mental note of that when I was like eight. So. Right. Oh, I wanted to share with you the copy of Medallion that I picked up was um, obviously an older copy, but this one came with another inscription saying from Charlie Jones, Merry Christmas to his friend saying, this was my favorite book that I read with my class last spring. And this was from 2004. So I just, I didn't feel like it's fair that authors don't get to hear all these things about how many children they've affected and how many Mm -hmm. people's favorite book you wrote. So I wanted you to (laughs) know yet another child that I don't know, but he loved your book and it was his favorite book too. Thank you. That was very sweet. All right. Well, we will have a separate little episode if you guys are interested in where we have a few major spoilers that we talk about with Don. if you guys want to um, find that episode. But we just want to thank Don so much for being here with us today. This was so wonderful for me and I hope for you too. <laughs> thank you. Very nice of you. Very nice so, of you to call. Yeah, so Don's books will be linked in our show notes, and you guys can order those and get reading and sharing them with your friends. And we'd appreciate it if you subscribe and leave a review. And remember, the stories are truer than true, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>